Proposition 55 is a temporary income tax, and this is only on the wealthiest of Californians in order to maintain uh, adequate funding for both education and health care. If you dig down a little bit and look, it actually hits small business. So it's, it's an 8 to 11 billion ta income tax increase on small businesses and individuals. Welcome back to Upvote California, a podcast for California voters. This episode is part of our 2016 California Proposition series, where we focus on each proposition on the ballot and bring on experts to discuss both sides of the issue. I'm your host, Brian Atwood. Today's episode is about Proposition 55, the extension of the income tax increase, which extends the tax increases for high-income citizens for 12 years to fund education and health care. We're fortunate to have two experts representing both sides of the issue. We'll be interviewing Lisa Gonzalez, the president-elect of the Association of California School Administrators, and we have David Kirsten from the Kirsten Institute for Governance and Public Policy to take the opposing side. We start each episode with a brief summary and some key facts. In 2012, California temporarily raised the income tax for Californians making over $250,000 per year. Prop 55 would extend those increases until 2030 in order to fund education and health care programs in the state. Supporters say vote yes on Prop 55 so that we avoid a $4 billion annual cut in spending and to enforce strict accountability of funds. Opponents say vote no since the increases were promised to be temporary and these higher tax rates are no longer needed to balance the budget. So when I started looking at doing an episode on Prop 55, um, I thought there was two questions I thought would help people make up their minds about this one. The first is, how much does California need for education? Right now we spend about $65 billion a year on education. And is that enough? Do we need to double that? Do we need to spend less or more? Really kind of wanted to see how much we needed to spend for education. The second question I wanted to ask is, what is fair? So the high-income earners here are paying 13.3%, and the argument is that they're paying their fair share. So what is, what is a fair amount for people to be paying taxes? Is it 13%, um, which is by far the highest in the country? Is it 10%? Is it, is it 20%? Should we tax them a lot more? What, what's really fair for people to be paying? Um, it turns out that both of these questions are very difficult to answer and way, go way beyond the scope of this podcast. So I think I decided just to give you some facts about um, how we're spending these monies and then let the experts kind of dig into it for you. So let's take a step back and take a look at the state budget. So California expects to spend about $120 billion this year that comes out from what's called the general fund, which is a big pot of money that we go to spend for education, Medi-Cal, other public services. And about half of that goes towards education, uh, like K through 12, community colleges, and public universities. The general fund is supported by three different tax sources. So the personal income tax, sales tax, and corporate income tax. And the personal income tax is by far the most important. It accounts for about two thirds of our revenues for the general fund. Prop 30 was passed to increase the income taxes for the 1.5% of Californians that make over $250,000 a year. So that increased their income tax rate to 10.3%, and on the higher end, it goes up to 13.3%. So is that high? As a reference, this is the highest tax rate in the country. The next highest state is Oregon, where the highest tax rate is 9.9%. So quite a bit higher. Um, another th quick thing to point out about Prop 30 is that it increased the state sales tax. 
And that increase is set to expire in 2018. And it's important to note that Prop 55 does not extend the sales tax increase, only the income tax. So Prop 55 is pretty simple. It would simply keep those income tax increases on the books for an additional 12 years until 2030. If Prop 55 isn't extended, then income taxes go down to 9.3% for high earners and down to 10.3% for the very high earners, which is still the highest tax rate in the country. Let's take a look at the fiscal impact. So where are all these income taxes going and how much are they going to raise? So it's estimated by the state that it's going to raise $4 billion to $9 billion per year in revenue. Um, the reason for this large variation is that because these um, high income earners' income is very dependent on the economy and on the stock market in particular. So when the stock market is doing very well, this could be on the order of $9 billion. And if we go into a recession, it's down to $4 billion. So quite a lot of variation there. Um, one thing I thought that was interesting about this proposition that I wanted to point out is that in the description, it says that all of this tax revenue is going towards education. But the state analyst predicts that only half of this revenue goes towards education, and the money towards Medi-Cal will be between 0 and $2 billion per year. Um, I tried to find out the answer for this discrepancy, but I really didn't come up with a good one. So if this is something you care about, um, I hope that you can look into it in a little bit more detail. Um, my opinion is that what's happening is that these income taxes just go straight into the general fund. There's no special carve-outs for them. And the general fund just happens to spend about half of its budget on education. Um, so again, I couldn't really find a good answer for this discrepancy. And if it's something you care about, uh, please take a look. Um, supporters say the main uses of these funds are going to go towards an additional 22,000 teachers that the state needs. It goes towards restoring arts and music programs that were cut during the recession and also making college more affordable. Um, so more people getting into college is good. Um, opponents say that California is too reliant on incomes from top earners, that these uh, tax incomes vary way too much um, according to the economy. And they say that we should instead uh, reform the tax code so the state budget and the state um, incomes are a lot more stable and don't depend on the economy so much. Um, again, going to let the experts talk about those in a little bit more detail. Let's lastly take a look at campaign financing. About $50 million has been raised in support of Prop 55. Most of this coming from the Yes on 55 campaign, which is composed of teachers, doctors, and labor organizations. The largest donations coming from the California Association of Hospitals and Health Systems and the California Teachers Association PAC. On the flip side, no money has been raised in opposition to this date. At this time, let's switch over to our interviews to discuss the pros and cons of this proposition in more detail. We are happy to welcome Lisa Gonzalez to the podcast to talk to us about the supporting view of Proposition 55. Lisa is the president-elect of the Association of California School Administrators and the interim superintendent of Lakeside Joint School District. She has also been a superintendent at Portola Valley School District and the director of STEM at the Santa Clara County Office of Education. Welcome to Upvote California, Lisa. Thank you. Good morning. Um, good morning. Um, can you start off by briefly explaining Proposition 55 to our listeners and why it is important for Californians to vote yes? Sure. Uh, Proposition 55 is a temporary income tax 
and this is only on the wealthiest of Californians, in order to maintain uh, adequate funding for both education and health care. And what's really important about it is that it provides low-income families with children to make sure that they get the care they need, especially that preventive care that we know is so important to keep children healthy and in school. And, you know, in the long run, this saves Californians um, a great deal more money. So any children and families that are part of the Medi-Cal program will be able to get up to $2 billion additionally in funds uh, every year as a result of Prop 55. But also from the educational perspective, it's going to help our schools recruit and retain uh, qualified teachers. It's going to prevent massive layoffs that we saw in 2007, 2008, in that era that started with the Great Recession. Um, it really helps to maintain low class sizes, which we know are better for learning environments for kids. And it also makes for a better teaching environment for our educators. Um, Proposition 55 uh, is also beneficial to our community colleges because what it's intending to do is to um, stabilize tuition rates, which will also help uh, provide more classes. And we have 2.2 million students in our community college system. So there's certainly a benefit there. Um, you know, a couple of asides with Proposition 55, and this is these are always the important pieces to be able to hit as well. It, it won't cover any administrative costs or any bureaucracy that may be associated with it. The legislature can never touch it. And there is very strict accountability and transparency requirements that make sure that these funds go either to the Medi-Cal program or to classrooms. Okay. Um, I know that the opposition of Prop 60, 50, sorry, 55 says that um, schools are already well-funded, we don't need another tax increase, and can you kind of help listeners understand that um, the response to that viewpoint and you know, sort of why these funds are necessary in more detail? Sure. I'm not sure how many of your listeners remember how devastating the recession was to public education. It started in about 2007, and we've had more than 50,000 educators laid off. Programs were eliminated. Class sizes soared. And that's the type of thing that even when you're coming out of a recession, you don't recover from overnight. And it's taken years for us to get out of the recession. And at this point, we simply can't go back and have further cuts to our classrooms, to our students, to some of the healthcare programs that are essential for our children. Um, California is also facing a teacher shortage. We've got to hire more than 22,000 new teachers uh, this year alone, and we're still trying to hire library aides, um, bus drivers, custodians. All of these programs would be significantly impacted without the Prop 55 funds. Mm -hmm. And what happens if the proposition doesn't pass? I think the state analyst estimates that this is going to raise about four to nine billion dollars annually, depending on the um, you know market conditions. So, what Correct. happens if this doesn't pass? Where do we where do we make up for that windfall, or what kind of cuts do you think we're going to have to make? Well, education is the largest part of the California budget, so education would expect to see the majority of the cuts, and we're estimating anywhere from 4 to $5 billion in cuts to public education. Um, every May, our governor releases uh, his or her May revise, and Governor Brown noted this last year that the state budget will have to make significant budget reductions, and so we know those are going to come from public education. You know, just to give you um, a snapshot of what we're talking about, here in the Bay Area alone, we have about $950 million that's estimated to be coming in um, as a result of Proposition 55, and that's for our local counties of Alameda, Contra Costa, San Mateo, and Santa Clara, 
San Francisco, and then down in the South Bay, Santa Cruz and Monterey. Um, those are huge hits for our schools. To give you some snapshots of local districts here in my district, you know, our funds would be covering teacher training and support for instructional aides and counselors. Um, in my neighboring Loma Prieta School District, they would be looking at, um, you know, their funds being slashed as well. They've got lower class sizes and instructional technology support. Um, up in Milpitas Unified, they've been using their funds for instructional coaches, for their teachers. And in Moreland, they've been using it for salaries and benefits. So, you know, we would see reductions across the board here in California if Proposition 55 doesn't pass. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I appreciate you giving those examples. One thing I thought was interesting about this is these funds are allocated, but it's really up to the school districts and the local communities to sort of decide um, how that money is spent. So I appreciate you giving different examples of how it is spent. Um, one thing, um, this is a little bit of a different um, topic, but I know that the opponents will say that this measure hurts small businesses too because a lot of small businesses um, file as um, individuals. And, you know, I know you come from an education background, but is there anything that you can say that might speak to that argument? Um, have, have we seen any hits to small businesses based on the taxes we already have? And, and do you know anything about what effects we can see going forward? I do, and and perhaps there are people that are misinformed about the intent of Prop 55. Prop 55 is an income tax on the wealthiest Californians, and it's an income tax that is already in place that is going to be continued. This is not a business tax. As a matter of fact, if you really take a look at it, it would indirectly help small businesses, and this is why. If we were to see 4 to $5 billion worth of cuts, to public education. It means that we're going to have massive layoffs across the board in our school districts, which means that we're going to have people that are either filing for unemployment or aren't going to be able to find other ways to really subsidize some of their disposable income. So you would expect that they have less disposable income to be able to go out into the small businesses or even the large businesses. So you really could say that Proposition 55 would indirectly help small businesses while allowing California to continue to prosper and our students continue to thrive. Okay, I think I appreciate that clarification. Um, Well, I want to be respectful of your time, and I, I always ask this, but Voters have tons of issues to decide this election uh, with 17 statewide proposition and just countless uh, local propositions. Uh, there's 25 in San Francisco alone, so it's just a massive wow. amount of information to keep in, in your head. Um, when, when voters go to the polls, they see Prop 55 on the ballot. What's the key point that you want them to remember? I want them to remember every dollar of revenue from Prop 55 goes directly into educational programs and health care for our low-income children and their families. It's going to protect us from massive layoffs, larger class sizes, tuition hikes at the community college level, and it's not raising taxes on anyone but just continuing the income tax on the wealthiest Californians. Okay, thank you. And is there anything that you want to say to listeners that want to learn more or get involved? Is there a, a website that they can go to? There is. Yeson55.com is a great website. And if you click on Take Action on the very top, there are a number of ways that people can get involved. They can join the mailing list. They can follow on social media with all the hashtags. They can share their story. And these personal stories are really important, not only from our educators, but also from families who have benefited from Medi-Cal before. But even more so, there's a supporter toolkit, and I'm taking a look at it right now. There are endorsement forms. There are 
there's fact sheets, and there's information that's translated into 10 different languages. So if anybody wants more information and might be going out to meet with or speak with groups in our communities that might speak other languages, all the information's been already translated. So I'm hoping that your listeners have an opportunity to take a look at yesom55.com and to vote yes. Great. Well, Lisa, we appreciate you being on Upvote California. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. At this time, let's switch guests to talk about the opposing arguments. Today on Upvote California, we are joined by David Kirsten to talk about the opposing viewpoints to Proposition 55. David is an adjunct professor of public policy at the University of San Francisco and president of the Kirsten Institute for Governance and Public Policy. The Kirsten Institute provides consulting on public policy, government, and communications issues and is co-sponsoring the campaign to oppose Prop 55. Thank you for joining Upvote California, David. Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Can you uh, start us off by briefly explaining Proposition 55 to our listeners and why it is important for Californians to vote no? Yeah, Proposition 55, it's being sold as a tax-the-rich scheme to pay for schools. But if you if you dig down a little bit and look, it actually hits small business. So it's it's an eight to eleven billion ta- income tax increase on small businesses and individuals. Mm-hmm. And uh, what it what it does is reenacts uh, Proposition Thirty, um, the, the income tax increases in that, which puts us at the highest in the nation, thirteen point three percent income tax rate, um, and you know that applies to small businesses and individuals earning with taxable income above. 260000 a year. So, you know, uh, two-thirds of the businesses in the state are small businesses. So a huge number of businesses will be hit by this because if you have just a few employees or, you know, you, know, you could potentially fall into that category mm-hmm. uh, and be hit by this tax. I want to I talk about that hit um, in a little bit. But uh, first, you mentioned it's a 8 to $9 billion in revenue each year that goes to funding schools. So if if we don't pass this, um, you know, how do we make up for that loss in revenue? Or or maybe put another way, do we need that much revenue? Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts uh, against that? Yeah, yeah I, I believe that the measure is unnecessary. Record, revenues are at record highs right now in terms of school funding. Um, so it raises as much as $11 billion a year, and, you know, the income from these earners is very volatile. Um, proponents are claiming that it's needed to uh, prevent cuts to education, um, but really education's received a 50% increase in funding since 2011-12, increasing from $47 billion then to $72 billion today. So... Um, we're really, they're not really in danger of, um, you know, uh, they've already gotten this big windfall. Um, and, you know, revenues are projected to go up for the next couple of years. Um, so I, I just don't see that the need for this, and especially extending this for 12 years without increased accountability measures, doesn't make sense. Right. I, I noticed on your website um, you guys mentioned that, uh, this revenue is is not accounted for that well. Um, can you talk a little bit more about 
um, specifically how the revenues are going to be distributed and accounted for, who's going to do the oversight, you know, what, what kind of things should voters be aware of? Yeah, um, this measure, there are some real issues with accountability. Um, you know, for one, we don't know exactly how much it's going to raise. And for schools, they say they only need $4 billion, supposedly. We don't, you know, even agree that they, um, you know, have to have that. Well, where does the rest of the $6 billion or $7 billion in revenue go? Um, it goes to the hospitals, associations. That's why they've kicked in almost $20 million for this. It can also go to fund the government bureaucracy, raises pension and benefits. So a number of lawmakers at a hearing last month are noted that there were some major loopholes about how this money can be spent. And um, the money that goes to education actually goes into uh, funds in each county, and it can be spent on anything, including raises and pensions and, you know, uh, benefit increases. Mm-hmm. So there's is there no accountability or, or is there um, did, is there um, like a state agency that's kind of looking at where that is spent or what do you think? Well, they're they're going to track where the money goes, but they don't. If you look at the accounting for Prop Thirty, it really just continues that, which is very minimal accounting. It just tracks that okay, they raised six point five billion. They transferred this amount into each county fund, mm-hmm. but then where the money went after that, nobody knows. Um, so it just kind of goes, you know, think of a, a river where, you know, goes into all these different streams. They're only tracking kind of where the river goes, not where all the kind of streams go of all the little pots of money. So I see. Um, okay. Um, I want to get back to your point about the, the high income uh, income rate we have here in California. Right now it's 13.3%, which is higher than any other state. Um, what effects have we seen from this high rate in the past few years, and what effects do you think we'll see if this proposition is extended? Yeah, I've, I've looked at that data from the Fran- California Franchise Tax Board, and actually when Prop 30 went into effect the next year, uh, the first year that people could change their behavior, there's actually a $40 billion drop in taxable income, a 40% drop for those top earners. Uh, so there was a huge uh, decrease. Um, in other taxpayers who weren't impacted, you actually saw a moderate increase in the revenue. So we do know that this has a major impact on business activity and capital in California. And, um, you know, a lot of people thought they would stomach it, you know, for a temporary four years. That's why the legislature did it. We need the money. But to really say we're put us that much higher than every state in the nation, it's going to have a detrimental effect on California's economy and, you know, only accelerate the job, the flight of jobs and capital out of California. Is that move uh, individuals and businesses moving out of California or changing their tax uh, returns so it looks like they're making a lot less money, What or maybe all the above? It is both. I think the capital can move a lot quicker than actually moving a plant out of California. But what you see is wealthy individuals, they have, or in businesses, they have operations in a number of states, so it's easy to attribute more and more capital to other states, and you can do that immediately. It's just within the state's tax laws. And then over the long term, they'll shift more jobs and 
um, you know, building out of state, uh, you know, given just the state's, you know, increasingly poor business climate, uh, primarily high taxation, and, but also regulatory issues. Okay. Um, I want to ask one more thing about um, the tax system here. Some of the newspapers that are supporting 55 have said we need to extend this um, income tax uh, even though that the taxation system is broken, uh, we need to extend this because we need the revenue. Um, I know we could we could dig deep into this, but just briefly, um, is there a way for listeners to understand how the system is broken and how it should work? Yeah, I mean, there is a consensus that, that California's tax system is broken, and one of the big criticisms is that we rely on such, we place really half of our income, well, half of the income tax we get is from the top earners, and the income tax is our biggest revenue source, and that's extremely volatile. So that revenue shoots up, politicians spend all the money, then there's a huge drop-off, and then you have to really do whole-scale reductions to programs. So the really the goal is to reduce reliance on the the, the volatile source of revenue. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also some serious inequities in the system pertaining to small business, which this hits. They're already taxed at roughly three times the rate of corporations, the effective rate. So this only exasperates that problem because it's a 23% tax increase on small business. So the state really needs to look at those issues. And if we do Prop 55 now, you can't do tax reform because that's, really the crux of what needs to be done with tax reform unless you go back to voters and undo Prop 55 and try to do something else beneficial. That's why the San Francisco Chronicle says if you care about tax reform and improving our um, tax system, you can't do Prop 55. Mm, Okay. Thank you for that. Um, voters have a lot to decide on this election. There's 17 state propositions. There, there's just a ton on the ballot. When they see Prop 55 there, what's the, what's the key thing that, that you want them to remember? Just remember, this is bad for jobs in the economy. Having the highest in the nation income tax is makes us uncompetitive. And there is also proponents haven't demonstrated a need for this additional dollars. Enrollment is declining, so why would we want to cut them a blank check for $11 billion a year up up to that amount without any accountability for how those dollars are spent? Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Well, I I really appreciate your time today, David. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I appreciate it. And for more information, you can check out www.opposeprop55.com. That wraps up our episode on Proposition 55. We want to thank our guests, Lisa Gonzalez and David Kirsten. If you want to learn more about supporting Prop 55, take a look at yeson55.com. If you want to learn more about the opposing arguments, check out opposeprop55.com. We always encourage you to check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Upvote Podcast or on our website, upvotecalifornia.com. Thanks again for listening. See you at the polls.